0: This is the New Song Church Podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now here's the message. Good morning, 11 a.m. service. How are you guys doing today? All right. You guys should look good today. Yeah? You're looking good. Turn to yourself and say, "I, I look good today. Yeah, it's not necessarily your outfit. It's because Jesus is shining on you. That's what I mean. Jesus is shining on you, so you're looking good. (laughs) Amen. You know, um, who who was here during Wednesday uh, prayer? Who's here? You guys were here, yeah. Um, I really believe that God is doing something here at New Song, and I I believe that there's something that's just that the the Holy Spirit is beginning to just break out uh, within our midst, and and there are good things that are happening. In, in this house. And, and oftentimes, I think we place, our place uh, ourselves in a place of, uh, of prayer when something is going wrong. We begin to want to pray if we hear that there's an issue happening or something's not working out right. And then at that point, we think in our minds, okay, now this is time for me to pray. But I want to encourage you that as things are going well in this house, that you continue to pray right continue to pray for the vision of this house that god has given to our leaders pastors josh and sarah continue to pray for the protection of the staff and the leading of what god is doing here and i think that that's a posture that we want to take because if we can if we can have that practice in the good times it's going to be very easy if things go south for us to remain in that posture of praying and seeing god even when things don't go as well as they should right Amen? Would you agree with me to, that, to do that? Okay, so when you're in your secret place, when you're in that place in your homes, just remember to just keep on praying. Now, if you, if you don't know me, my name is Pastor Tonda and I'm the discipleship pastor here in your son So I love being in, in, in the Word of God and I love seeking and just reading through the Word of God. And we have discipleship classes and if you've never been to one, I encourage you at any point that there is one to sign up for it because I believe great things are happening there too. Now, We're beginning a new series, and this series is called The Seven Miraculous Signs, or Seven Signs, and we're going to be looking at the seven miraculous signs that are found in the book of John. So that's what we're going to be doing. And and the reason being is there's so much in there that I think God wants to speak or lay in our hearts in the times that we are living in. So I encourage you to lean in and just be ready to receive in your heart what God would want to do in your heart. And consequently, it translates to your family, and your family to the city, and the city to the state and the nation. Amen? So he's wanting to do something. So I'm encouraging you to lean in. Now, if you've read the Gospel of John, you will find that it's kind of different from the other three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the Synoptic Gospels. And the word synoptic there is just a fancy word of saying similar or same. So as you read these three, you'll find that they have a similar term. Tone. They speak to the similar events that uh, that was happening at the time. And all of that pointing to Jesus being the Messiah. So you can see that there's, there's a sense that it's as if you're rereading what you've just read when you read those first three. But John has a different take on it. He's distinct in his writing style and distinct in the flavor in, of, of what he is writing. And the reason being, number one, he was writing at a much later time than the other three. So he was trying to give a different perspective that pointed to the same point that Jesus is the Messiah and indeed the Son of God. And the other reason why he was writing is he was responding to the challenges that were happening at the time. People began to challenge the church. You see, what what normally happens is the further away you move from a mighty move of God or you move away from a revival, people begin to think differently and begin to question the things that happened at the time when they did because they've moved so far away. So the first thing that he had to deal with was answering the question, is Jesus really God? So they're questioning the deity of jesus and so he was writing in response to that to answer that question and and, and if you know about answering a, a question an accusation it's known as uh, apologetics when you're dealing with theology the actual study of theology is called apologetics so he was writing in response to that question that was arising against the church the other one that he was uh, uh, addressing is the issue of jesus's humanity that if he was god he couldn't be because god cannot become a person God cannot become a human being and actually walk amongst us. It's just, it's just not possible. How can that, that be? And so those were the two things that people were questioning him at the time. So he was writing to give a different perspective and also to answer the question that was coming up against the church. How many of y'all know we still have to answer those questions today? Differing ideologies and thoughts rise up against the church, questioning the validity of the Messiah and the validity of who God is. And so he actually writes and he tells us why he actually did this undertaking. So I'm not, I'm not guessing here. He actually tells us. So if you go to John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31, the Bible reads... The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs, in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. So number one, he writes that you would have continued continual belief that Jesus is the Messiah. If the attack that we face moves Jesus away from his messianic position, then we have nothing. Because without Jesus there is no salvation, without Jesus there is no forgiveness of sins. Without him being the Messiah, you and I cannot stand where we stand today. And everything we face is coming against asking that question is Jesus really the Messiah? We have people today that are saying They're deconstructing, they're removing everything that they have understood because they question it because of the events that they're seeing without the recognition that if you take away Jesus as the ultimate Messiah for our salvation, then we go back into nothingness and that nothingness leads to death. And so he's writing and saying, you've got to stand in that position to know that he is the cold one. That you don't have to continue to wait that there is somebody else that's coming. That he has already come and he has already established himself as the savior of the world. That is only through him that we find the way, the truth and the life and the other thing he's saying is we've got to acknowledge that he is the son of God because then there's also this understanding that people pose that he was a great man he was a prophet he was one of the good guys but if he's just a prophet or just a good guy then there's a place in which we might question the validity of what he says but if he is the son of God that means the word that he speaks we have to take it as the whole gospel truth and walk therein we cannot take some of his words and put them aside or challenge them but because he is God and God said it we have to hold it to be wholly true and so he is the Messiah and he is the son of God and then he further on says believing in him you might have life If you live life outside of God, if you live life outside of the belief that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God, you don't have true life. If the measurement of what you call life or what you think is life is based on your possessions, the things that you have, the things that you see or the lack of trials or a good life and you assume that you're doing well, you are not because you are on the wrong matrix. The true matrix is a measurement of how you are living in the kingdom of God. That's the true measurement of where true life is being lived. And then he says this here. He says, by the power of his name. By the power of his name. See, many people want to see miracles, right? That's, that's, that's the thing. We want, to see, we want to see miracles happening. That's what people want. But I'm here to tell you that you possess a power. Power that comes by the name of Jesus. That if, if we could take a hold of the fact that by having Jesus in our lives by beholding Jesus and praying in his name we're in a place of power when you pray and you say in Jesus's name that's not just a fancy way to add a prayer what you're saying is when I make my petition before God I'm coming in the righteousness not of my works but of the righteousness of Jesus you're saying I'm coming within the authority that Jesus has established on this earth because he declared all authority has been given to him so when I say in the name of Jesus. I'm coming with the true power that God established on this earth for me to declare a thing or a thing to happen. And that's power. That's the power that God has bestowed upon you and I. Will you use it? Will you use it? We go for months. Months without prayer. Months. Not praying. We pray five minutes in our car here and there. Pop a prayer here, pop a prayer there. And that's it. And yet you possess this power, this strength. Will you believe that with the power of his name that there can be a change and a transformation that can happen in your life? Listen to me. The things that are in the word of God that are promises that you can stand on. And what happens to us sometimes is we we live in a position of just being hopeful. I just hope that things will change. I just hope that things will be different. But the Bible says hope deferred makes a heart sorrowful. Which means when your hope is not realized, you will become sorrowful. Some of us are in a place of sadness and depression because the things we're hoping are not coming true. But if you are in a position of faith, understanding the authority that you have in his name, when things are not happening you go into your secret place and you say hey god this is what the word says i'm not experiencing it in my life what's going on that's faith the bible says i have never seen the righteous forsaken nor their children begging for bread if you find yourself in a position where you're begging for bread get into that secret place and begin to call on god in the name of jesus that he would break through and stand on the word that he spoke. Man, I remember as a young man, I would hold the Bible up and I'd say, hey, I didn't write this. You didn't. <laughs> right? You know I mean? This is my opinion and my thought. But I need breakthrough here. So I need your help in the name of Jesus. And God is always true to his word. So John is saying, I'm writing that you do not forget that you have power in the name of, of Jesus. Now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when they're writing on, on miracles, they focus on the word miracles when they're describing miracles. And the word miracles is the word dunamis, which means power. This is where you, word, you get the word dynamite. And so that's what they're writing to represent and show the power of God. The miracles are there to affirm and to show the power of God. But John takes on a different twist to that same thing. Instead of using the word miracles, he uses the word sign. And the word signs in the Greek is the word simeon. And this means a mark or token given to authenticate, corroborate, or confirm. A mark or token given to authenticate, corroborate, or confirm. So the word has emphasis on the end product and the one who gives it. That's what the word does. So more aptly put, it's the miraculous signs of Jesus that we're going to be looking at. So they are signs which means they point to something. They are not the be-all and end-all, but it is what they point to that we are looking at. So imagine, I'm going to see the Grand Canyon. And while I'm driving, I happen to come upon a sign that says, Grand Canyon, five miles. And then I pull over and I say, oh my goodness, that sign I have never seen a sign like this one. And then I start taking selfies with the sign. Send them out and say, people, you, you, you have got to see how marvelous this sign is. And while I'm there, somebody else pulls over and says, did you see what I saw? Yeah, we saw it. What if we put flowers around it? Imagine how bigger it can be. We go, oh, do it. And we put bigger signs and bigger signs we miss out on the Grand Canyon. We miss out on the glory of the Grand Canyon. What is it pointing to that you have power in the name of Jesus listen to me the miracles in themselves are just a way to show you to show you the glory of God the glory of the responsibility and power that you have in the name of Jesus you cannot rest on the miracle itself because the miracle itself is just pointing you to something greater and that's something greater you have in your heart so here we are you got people leaving the church saying I don't see eyes opening anymore I don't see somebody's leg growing. It happens. It's still happening today. But people don't see it and they say, man. So Jesus doesn't perform miracles today. He does. And so because of this, they question what is happening. It's the same thing. What they're calling for is we need more signs. That's what they're crying out for. We need more signs without recognizing that the sign has already pointed them to something greater, which is the name of Jesus that you and I possess. So if something's not happening the way you should, get into that place. Call on the name of Jesus that you might see the breakthrough that you desire. You see, the thing is, you've got to be rested in this position that Jesus is who he says he is. I don't need a sign to tell me that Jesus is Lord and he is good. We used to say back in the church, oh folks, you might know this better than the younger folks. But we used to say, God is good and you'd say? And i say all the time? Okay, so which means that if there is no miracle, God is good? And all the time? When there is no miracle, God is good? And all the time? So it doesn't matter whether I see a miracle or not because what I possess is this Jesus who has transformed my life. I don't need to see another hand being grown. I don't need to see eyes popping out and all these things happening for me to believe because I already believe. So I'm not asking him for another sign. I want to get to the Grand Canyon. I don't need more signs. I just want to get to where he wants me to go to because listen to me here, saints. If your eyes are healed and they open and you see, you're still going to die. If your leg grows out and it's magnificent and awesome, you're still going to die. If you cry out, God pay my rent, it's a miracle God has paid my rent. After your rent is paid, you're still going to die. So the mark is not for me to look for these signs. My mark is to look for my name written in the book of life. That at the end of it, he can say, well done, good and faithful servant. Where I can build a treasure up in heaven. Where wrath and moth cannot destroy. Where thieves cannot come up against. Because if God blesses me with wealth, somebody can still steal that wealth from me. But if I build myself up, that I can be known in the book of life. Nobody. Can take that wealth from me. So when people deconstruct because they don't see miracles, all they're saying is, man, the sign to the Grand Canyon ain't big enough. That's exactly what we're saying. It ain't big enough. It ain't glorious enough. It's not like the old signs. The old signs were nice, they were made of silver and green. We've gone to red. Red is disgusting. That's exactly what we're doing when we clumber for signs. But I will tell you this, when you live in your true power, which is in the name of Jesus, miracles and signs are inevitable. Because he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He still wants to do miracles, but he's not going to make miracles be the end all and the be all. Only a wicked and perverse generation seeks for a sign. So what we're looking for is what these signs point to. The signs of Jesus serve as revelation of his divinity as the Messiah and an invitation to live life in exaltation of the power of his name. So we're going to get into it. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, just thank you in the name of Jesus for what you want to do within our time. Each and every single one of us here has a role to play in this generation, otherwise we would not be here. But for a purpose, you have set us apart to have the privilege of being and existing in this time. And so I pray that as your word goes forth, God, you, you place a, a seed. A seed in our hearts. That when we go and we ponder, and we, we muse, we talk, we discuss. That it can cause things to grow. Things that glorify your name. Fruit, harvest that grows. So Holy Spirit, I pray that our, our ears are ready. And our hearts are in the posture they need to be. That we might receive from you. You've set your table. And your banner over us is love. We thank you and honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at the first miracle. And that's going to be in John chapter 2 verses 1 to 11. John chapter 2 verses 1 to 11. On the third day, there was a wedding in, now I know you are going to say Cana. It's actually Cana, but when in Rome. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to a woman, What does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews. Containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests are well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. When you begin to read the book of John, unlike the first three, the first three kind of take you through the birth of Jesus and the genealogy of Jesus. But John kind of just jumps right into it. Because again, remember, he's responding to the critics of his time. So he doesn't waste any time and he begins by writing to them and he tells them, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he begins right off by answering the critics. He he doesn't take any, any pauses. He doesn't go on a tangent. He just gets straight into then he builds it up and he says the life that was in this man was the light of men the light shines in the darkness but the darkness has not understood it and so because they knew that there was going to be a forerunner he introduces john and says there came a man whose name was john he himself was not the light but he was only as a witness to the light so that you know that there was john the baptist who was coming to foreshadow the coming of jesus so he's making an intellectual argument here to his readers so that they know that he has the information and the knowledge to lay down the basis of the argument that he is about to present. Then he goes on to say that the law came through Moses but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ and he continues on in his writing and he brings back John the Baptist as the voice that is calling out in the wilderness because they would have read from the old prophets that there was one that was going to come as a forerunner. So he deepens his understanding of who John the Baptist is and what his job was supposed to be and continuing on he begins to show us that Jesus is the lamb of God who was to take away the sins of the world and so he's building his case he's building his case and he now starts getting his disciples and collecting his disciples and making them join his team and you will read he'll say the next day this happened the next day this happened and then we're introduced to a young man named Nathaniel Nathaniel says can anything good come out of Nazareth and then when he gets to Jesus, Jesus said to him, hey, I saw you by the fig tree. And then, and then Nathaniel is like, whoa, you are indeed the Messiah. And then Jesus says to him, hey, you will marvel about what I've just told you, but you are going to see greater things than this. So John has laid out his whole intellectual argument just to present the case that Jesus is who he says he is. If you just reach up to one, the points are there. John is Bad. He knows how to write. He knows how to make a declaration. But when he comes to chapter two, he changes tone and he's about to present a supernatural evidence of why Jesus is the Christ. And he begins by saying, On the third day. On the third day. Now, this might just be, yeah, it was the third day. Cool. You know? But why not the second? Why not the fourth? It's because there's some significance to the third day. Watch this. God told Moses to consecrate the Israelites and to be ready on the third day, for he was going to come down from Mount on Mount Sinai and meet with his people. It was on the third day that Abraham acted in obedience to the, to sacrifice. Isaac it was on the 3rd day that Joseph's interpretation of the dream for the cupbearer and the king came true it was on the 3rd day that Esther confronts the king for the liberation of the Jews it was on the 3rd day that Jonah prayed in the fish and was spit out by the fish it was on the 3rd day that your redemption and my redemption came true when Jesus Christ rose from the de- from the grave the 3rd day So the moment he says third day, to the reader of the time, they would have understood that something is about to happen. What is it that is likely to happen on the third day? On the third day, God provided intervention. On the third day, God showed up. On the third day, God provided revelation. On the third day, God granted victory. On the third day, God provided salvation. On the third day, God God granted healing. On the third day, God revealed himself. Who is he? Do you know who he is? Church, That sits in our heart. The power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's right here. It's so not far gone, not foreign, not waiting for somebody to come back from the east nor from the west. He's here. And it is on this day that he was announcing himself. That he was announcing that a new thing was about to dawn. Something new was going to happen. And this is what I like. This is what I like. He did it in a little town called Cana. Now, if he's about to announce himself, or if I'm about to announce myself, I wouldn't choose a small town. That's why Oklahoma ain't never going to host the Super Bowl. (laughs) Okay? Because we're itty-bitty in size. So if it was me, I'd have gone to Jerusalem. You know? Stepped in in Jerusalem, where all the peeps know and say tb moyo at your service i'm here now that's how i would have announced it but he doesn't choose jerusalem he chooses cana and if you see the geographical position of cana it is close to nazareth where nathaniel has just said can anything good come out of nazareth so Jesus chooses a very inconspicuous city to announce his kingdom, to announce his arrival. He chooses the lowly things, the shame things, the unseen things to prove the power of God. So if you're sitting here and you're saying, I cannot, you qualify. If you're sitting here saying, man, I'm terrible at these things. I don't understand how the Bible works. You qualify. If you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, I'm small. I, I, just, I just cannot. You don't know where I come from. You don't know my history. You qualify and new song qualifies we're right behind a sandwich shop we qualify we have somebody else doing weed over on that side not us not us somebody else we qualify we qualify. So revival can start right here. in New song. We qualify. Because we are not showing. Sure. We, we are here to present and host the, the presence of God. We qualify. So if you've written yourself off, you are the one that he is looking for. Because he wants to do something great and mighty. Man, I hear that there's this revival happening at a university. It's happening at a university. You don't hear any big name pastors, big name worship leaders, because it's not about pump and show. It's about hosting the presence of God. And He's going to, He wants to be, He wants you to be the temple in which His presence can be hosted. And all you need, all you need is to believe in its possibility. And so He does this as a little town the next thing how he does it that he does it at a wedding. Now a wedding is a picture of a covenant being made. Now it was not the same wedding like, you know, but we have of on this side. I mean, where I come from, our weddings are way longer than the weddings here. Here is just, you do, you do, you do, you're good. Okay, you guys go. <laughs> have your party, it's all set, right? Where I come from, it takes a little longer. In the Jewish culture, the longest wedding was two weeks. That's how long a wedding goes. So a wedding was a big deal, okay? Especially in a city like Cana. It was a big deal because there's not a lot of things that happened. So when somebody was getting married, it was like, oh my goodness, we're going to go show up. This is the place to be. That's how it was with weddings at that time. So wedding was was, was awesome because it again represented a picture of a covenant. Jesus calls himself the groom and we his bride because he's showing us the depth of covenant that he has with us and his church, that he has with us, his church, and the covenant that happens between a man and a woman when they come together in marriage. The union makes them one. So he's now saying right there that he's beginning something new. That he's going from an old covenant and moving into a new covenant. At that point, the church has not yet been established prior to everything that's happening. Only after Jesus is the church established. So he's saying, I'm moving into a new way of doing things. I'm moving into a new way in which I'm going to host new wine. Because the old was not that great because if there had been no fault found with the old there would have been no need for the new right. so when you see your bible say old testament and new testament you got to understand this is not just fancy words it's telling you that there was a testament but a testimony that came out of the old but there's going to be a new testimony that comes out of the new and the new testimony that comes out of the new is not championing of law but championing of jesus christ as the true God who came to liberate us and that's what he's showing us just by having this covenant happen at a wedding now it so happened get, get the picture here right this wedding could go on for two weeks and then they run out of wine they're out of wine this is a big deal okay no more wine Like, what? We're going to be here for another seven days and there is no wine? What are you talking about? (laughs) Them running out of wine meant that you're removing an element of joy, which we get to talk about, at this wedding. It would have been shameful at this wedding to have no wine. It was a big deal. It's kind of like weddings here today, and this is close, it's not exactly the picture, but it's kind of like weddings today, if there is no cake. You know what happens if there's no cake at your wedding? We're gonna talk about you. Can you believe it? There's no cake at that wedding. I mean, who does that? Who does a wedding without cake? And you're gonna know that we're talking about you, and you're gonna feel a sense of shame and sadness that there is no cake. Because cake is a significant thing at a wedding. So it's almost something like that. But it was much bigger. So when they ran out of wine, this is a big deal. And so Mary comes up to Jesus and says, Hey, they've run out of wine. Jesus says, It is not my hour. What does this have to do with me? Right there, at the introduction of his identity, at the introduction of his kingdom, faith from a person is present. Mary had never seen Jesus perform a miracle when she says this. Mary had never seen Jesus, do great and wondrous signs. All she knew was that he was able to make the situation better and the reason she was able to know this is because her faith is born out of relationship so when I'm asking you do you know Jesus I am asking you, are you in a relationship with him? Not just the fact that you have great church attendance, not the fact that you say, Yeah, Jesus is Lord, but you have an intimate relationship with him where you can call on his name like i said when you don't see things happening the way that you know that they should when you don't see the truth of the word being expressed in your life do you know him well enough to go back and say hey i don't see what's happening because you've said it in your word that it would but it is not happening help me see it and in the name of jesus god wants to break through in your life but he's going to do so if you have a relationship relationship with him that kind of faith not just the fact that we talk about faith and you think yeah i have faith Yeah, god is going to do something later that's where we fall into hope and we just hope things change but faith says wait a minute wait a minute i have a word and a promise I have a word that has come from God. That's why when we teach about prayer and all these things, we say, Pray the word of God. Because when you pray His promises, you can go back to Him and say, This is what you have said. And I would like to see it happen in my life. I don't care how you're going to make this happen. I just know that you will. Because one of our follies is to put God in a box and assume He only works and functions in a particular way. Mary did not know He was going to turn water into wine. He could have made it rain wine. You know the movie Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs? It'll be cloudy with a chance of wine. He could have made it happen that way. But she didn't know what he was going to do. I don't need to know how God's going to break through from my life. I just know that he can and he will. And that was the faith that she put out there. Where is our faith? Where is our faith for the things that we cry out for God for? Man, I I would hold up the Bible to God in prayer, underline the scripture as though he cannot see it, and then I would lift it up and I'd say, hey, I didn't write this. You did. You did. And I would like to see it in my life. And I love the servants. I love the servants. The servants are given a word. Hey, whatever he tells you to do, do. So, they're getting water and they're putting it in the purification jar. Getting water. Putting in the purification jar. Hey, what are you doing? He just told me to put this water in the purification jar. Yeah, but what if it doesn't work? I don't know. He just told me to put this water in the purification jar. You know, if he tastes it and he tastes like water, you're going to get fired, right? No, he just, just told me to put water into this purification jar. You know, you look like an idiot right now, right? I, he just told me to take this water and put it in a purification jar. You know this church thing ain't working. You keep going to church but your mother is still sick. Hey, he told me not to forsake the habit of gathering together, so I keep doing it. You know this Christian thing doesn't work, right? There's more pain and hurt and division in the world. He just told me that I needed to continue to pray and seek his face. So I'm just going I'm just going to continue doing it. I'm just going to continue doing it because I have a word. Because God told me, because I have a word to do something. I, have not, I don't know what's going to happen out of this, but I have a word. Problem here is some of us don't have a word. We don't have a word, even though he has given his word in his word, but we don't have a word to stand on. Man, why, why you keep going to serve Saturday and loving on a city when tomorrow we hear so-and-so got killed? I don't know, but it's the word that he has given me, so I'm going to continue doing it. He told us to love on the poor, so I'm going to love on the poor. But hey, there's going to be more poor people. You know that, right? I, I just got to put this water in this jar because that's what he told me to do. So when people question, when people question why you do the things you do, man, for you, in order for you to see the things that God is doing and what he's doing in your life, you've got, to ready, you've got to be ready to look silly. You've got to be ready to look silly and just do exactly what God is calling you to do. If you don't have a word from God, there's plenty in the word, but he can also give you one directly to you. Then you can move. When the wine runs out, it was a big deal. Like we've already talked about, it was a big deal when the wine ran out. Because wine, if you read in Isaiah chapter 24 represents joy joy they cry out to the lord because the wine is out and there is no joy because of the lack of wine and so now jesus is about to perform a miracle that announces his kingdom watch this in exodus chapter 7 Verse 17 to 18. Before we read that, in Hebrews 11, Jesus in, Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, the writer has already equated Moses and Jesus. He says, Moses was faithful as God, in all of God's house as a servant. Of Jesus, he says, Jesus was faithful in all of God's house as a son. So when Moses is beginning his ministry, he begins with a miracle. And if you read Exodus chapter 7 verse 17 to 18b, this is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. So here's a point. The first miracle of Moses the servant was changing water into blood by his rod. The first miracle of Jesus as the son was changing water into wine by his word. The old covenant stood because of the law. And if you did not fulfill the law, you were not found worthy or righteous. In the old covenant, you could not just hear the voice of God. It came through the prophets. In the old covenant, you could not just go into the presence of the Lord. It was only done one time, once a year, by a priest. And so the law caused death. Paul writes and he says, the letter kills, but the spirit is life and peace. So the letter brought death. That which was meant to bring life actually brought about death. Romans chapter 7. So when Jesus turns water into wine, remember what did we say? Wine represents joy. And what do we know about joy? In Romans chapter 14 and verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking but about righteousness, peace, and in the Holy Spirit. So right there he announces his kingdom when he turns the water into wine. He speaks of a better covenant right in that moment. Jesus introduced himself. As a covenant God and the king of his kingdom when he did this. A new kingdom. the new kingdom of God is being established in Christ. Right in that moment. What do we look to to determine the worthiness of our lives? or whether things are well or not so well. Is it the fact that we are sick? And that if we are not, then yeah, things are going great because I'm not. Do we determine as things going well in our country, is it when my political power, my political party is in power, then things are great because the right people, in my eyes, are in power. Is it when things are flourishing and beautiful that we say, yeah, that means everything is going well? Is that how we determine the worthiness of our lives? Because what I'm here to tell you is that in in His kingdom, The matrix of judging whether life is good or well or things are going as they should is not the presence of things or the absence of them. It is the presence of the king. So whether you are in plenty or whether you are in want... Is the king present? Then you are doing well. But if the king is not, then you have some work to do. That's how you measure. And the king is not only there when things are great. I'd like to say, (laughs) most cases, the king is there when things just don't look right. Is where the king is present. I'm gonna close with that and you're gonna see it. But I wanted to point something out here of what's happening with this water into wine. When the water turned into wine, we also understand this is going backwards, is that Jesus tells us to partake of the wine. As a symbol of his blood that is perfect. You see, in the old covenant, the blood of the bulls and the lambs and the goats only covered man's sin. But the blood of the perfect lamb, Jesus, takes away the sin. So he then says, this is my cup in the new covenant, which is my blood. Drink it in honor of me. So again, he's giving us a picture here that he is, his glory, he's giving us a picture of his glory as the divine lamb sent for the remission of sins. That's what he's showing us when he turns water into wine. The other thing he's showing us is the sign of water into wine revealed his identity as the sacrifice given to take away the sins of the world. And lastly, the sign of water into wine foreshadowed the purifying power of his blood to cleanse men from all unrighteousness. And that's why he used the purification pots. So that we would understand that his blood purifies, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. This is what he was foreshadowing. Yeah. So i want to close with this. In John chapter 2 verse 11. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. So he revealed his glory. The Greek word for glory is the word doxa. And that word means the essence of or the substance of something. Or the substance of its worth. So he revealed his worth when he did that miracle. The Bible says, we grow line upon line, precept upon precept. From glory to glory so you are at a place of glory what does that mean there is a worth that jesus is to you you have been able to see his glory at this level but you cannot remain at this level you have to grow so that you can see him in a higher place and his glory is revealed in that same scripture the bible says the disciples believed after he had done this miracle but these are the same disciples we found in chapter one who also believed that he was the messiah but they believed again What's happening here? They went one glory and they moved on to another level of glory. How do you go from seeing the glory of God in one level to another level of glory? You've got to go through stuff. How can we know that Jesus is the healer if nobody is sick? How can we know that Jesus provides if nobody has lack? So when you say, God, use me, that's what you're signing up for. Use me, Lord. Have your way in me. What you're signing up for is there's going to be something that has to happen where something is removed or is not present so that God can reveal his glory, his essence, his substance in you, and then he reveals himself. But we are so afraid of going through this process. But on the other side of this process is a higher level of glory. A higher level of revelation. A higher level of understanding Is worth than his substance to you and I. But we have to be able and willing to go through stuff. You see your faith is only as strong as the tests and trials it overcomes. You think you have faith. Okay, it has to be tested. It has to be tested somewhere. Because it's easy to say I have faith when things are hunky-dory. But then when you go through trial, you need to see can Jesus establish a business on the inside of you? Can he burn something that was not in existence and bring it out of the inside of you? You've got to go through stuff to have it established. Can Jesus do ministry? Can there be lives that change in in my life that my eyes can see? I've got to go through stuff in order for me to see it. Man, I'm looking for a revival. I'm looking for a revival, and the revival that I'm looking for is that when we lift up our hands and we worship God, people come forward and they begin to confess their sins that there is no shame, that they're willing to make it happen. And I believe that I have to go through a place of trial in order for us to see this happen. We've got to be tested, we've got to be willing to lay down ourselves in order to see this glory. We will be tested. I dare say the presence of God is in testing. You look at them. Moses, Joseph, Jacob. You look at all of them. They had tests and trials. Nobody was clean. Sweeped clean. They had to go through stuff. Perhaps what you face right now is a moment in which God wants to reveal his glory to you. That you would grow from where you are To where he wants you to be. That's the reason for the sign. That you would see his worth. That you would see the essence and the substance of who he is. If you could stand with me. The last point of this sermon is that the signs of Jesus elevate his name and teach us to continue beholding his glory. We have to continue beholding His glory. If you could close your eyes by your heads, I'm going to ask you to start praying. right now where you are. I'm going to ask you, just put yourself in a posture of prayer. The weight of this moment is determined by the faith that you have in the Lord and that you put into it. This is not a style of ending service. This is as important as anything else we've been doing in this meeting. What I want you to do right now, I want you to start praying. I'm going to ask the altar ministers to come to the front. But I want you to start praying. And here's what I want you to pray. I want you to pray that if if somebody needs to grow to a new level of revelation of who God is, that they would have The courage to come up and pray with somebody. That God will reveal himself so strong. So before I make the altar call, I just want you to pray. Because really, it's not about me. It's not about New Song. It's not about anybody else. But it's about Jesus. And so what we want is for people to walk into a word. That's just like the servant said a word. I want you to walk into a word that you can hold on to and say, this I'm going to do because God has called me to do it. Just begin to pray where you are. I'm going to give you a little bit of time. Just begin to pray where you are. And ask the Lord, hey, if you have a, if you have a word and you're working something, just pray. God, I just pray that somebody else catches on to something and they're willing to work it in you. If you have any need of any kind, if you're in a place of want, if the wine has run out for you, this is a moment in which your faith is activated. Come to the front right now and have somebody pray with you. Come to the front. And if you have no word, you're like, man, I just do church. I don't have a word. I don't have a word that I'm holding on to where God has called me to do something. And I need to have something to hold on to that I can do. Come to the front and have somebody pray with you. Come to the front. Have somebody pray with you. Say, I need a word. I need the word. I need to be working my water into my jars. I need something. I'm not doing anything right now. All I do is just come to church. I need to do something. I need my hands to hold on to something. And if you're not coming up, I need you to pray. I need you to pray. I need you to pray that the Holy Spirit will begin to work right now. Revival, the one that you desire, can so begin even now if we just believe in him. father i thank you in the name of jesus that you are working in the hearts and in the minds of men and women in this room right now i pray father that you would begin to ignite a fire that is on the inside of them your word says fan into flame the gift of god that you received by the laying on of your hands which means somebody laid hands on timothy for him to receive the power of the holy spirit and god somebody here needs somebody to lay hands on them that they can receive a power that they can receive their call that they can receive the word that establishes them i pray that That you would begin to draw men and women out of their seat right now in the name of Jesus. I thank you Father that you are working right now in the name of Jesus. Draw men and women out God. That they would have hands laid on them to receive the power that comes with the Holy Spirit. For them to live by the power of the name of Jesus. I thank you Father for what you are doing in this house. I thank you that you are planting seeds. And I thank you that even as we have heard this word and we have received it, I pray that when we go from here, we ponder, we muse, we think, we meditate on it, that we might give it an opportunity for it to grow. Move, Holy Spirit. Move. Father, continue to work within our midst that we would experience your glory. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for New Song Church OKC in the App Store.